better world. Can be better. Co-workers can be better. Your families can be better. Students in your classroom can be better. A better you for a better world. It's really great that um, everyone here is so diverse and comes from different backgrounds because I've never been to a church where um, there's so many different people all coming to unite for one thing and that's just really amazing to see. I joined a growth group a little over a year ago and I think it's been one of the um, most life-changing things that has happened. Um, I went through a personally difficult time and just having basically a second family here in the Bay has been so necessary. I just, I've loved them and they have just loved on me and um, just I've felt the love of Jesus through them. I've been going to this church for a few years, and but was more of a consumer for a while, and now I'm, I'm really, really happy to be to say that I'm getting more involved in make, being more of a contributor, uh, being involved with the worship team, and, and really trying to just contribute to, to this great community that we have here. Grace is something that, frankly, in, in my life, I've had a, a little bit of a hard time understanding. I think Pastor Brian has a book about that, that I've been working, working. Look at me, God, I, I need to do this, I need to do that to, in order to please you. But I am, I am pleasing to God because I am under his grace. And because I'm under his grace, then I wanna be pleasing for him and serve him and honor him with my life. And being, having your flesh and, your, and live in the spirit, sometimes I still fall into that. But God's grace, I'm learning as I get older, is greater. And just resting and abiding in that is what it really is about being a Christian. Part of me, I have to go. Um, whether it's, you know, bringing something that I've learned to the youth group, or whether it's going abroad, um, I think that we all need to respond to what God calls us to. And when we don't, I, I feel unsatisfied. You know, I feel like I'm not fulfilling what God has called me to do. And there's a discomfort there that I think is healthy. What I love about ALCF is that when we gather and worship, it's people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. You know, we'll go from playing a guitar, acoustic guitar with flip-flops to one of our chocolate brothers playing the B3 Hammond organ, you know? I love that because after all, we're getting ready for heaven, right? That's what heaven's gonna be like. And so that's what our sound is and that's who we will continue to be. People who gather in worship from every nation and every tribe lifting up the name of Jesus. My prayer for Abundant Life is that we would become a house of prayer. Totally committed, totally submitted, and always seeking God's will, seeking his mind and his way of life for us. This is ALCF. 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 A-L-C-F This is A-L-C-F This is Abundant Life
is ALCF. Today, your love is not literally reckless, but it appears reckless because we are reckless. Oh, God, if we could pass the mic and the doors to the closets were open, we would be baffled that you would even think about coming after us. The dirt we've done, the people we've messed over, and yet you keep coming after us. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said, who would deliver me from this body of death. So, Father God, just to keep it 100, none of us deserve your love. All of us deserve an eternity separated from you. That goes to the last person in the last seat, to the preacher on the stage, and everyone in between. Thank you for not giving up on us. And so, Father, we pray that just like you caught us, that you would catch someone else today with your reckless love. Now, Lord God, speak to us from your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen <clears throat> and amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to meet me in Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> I want to read to you one of the most controversial stories Jesus ever shared. Uh, if you're new with us today, we've been in a series all this month called The Fantastic Four, and the idea here is several months ago, we, um, we asked you guys to go online and to, uh, and to share uh, if there's one thing you'd love for us to, uh, to teach on uh, from the scriptures, what would it be? We took the top four most requested, and all throughout the month of February, that's what we're doing. And so it began week one, uh, and they are not easy topics. As uh, many of you asked, well, uh, how should Christians think about and engage politics? Uh, we walked through that. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Gary preached like he was looking to take my job. I got a little offended by that. But wasn't that an amazing word that Pastor Gary gave last week? <clears throat> on eternity. I was very enriched and blessed by it. This week, we're going to talk about, many of you asked uh, about truth and issues of tolerance and uh, how should Christians navigate that and what's the Christian worldview. And um, so we're going to talk about that. Now, next Sunday, we're going to press pause on this series because, of course, the number one thing you, you requested was um, how how do Christians engage in a loving, faithful way our friends in the gay community? And I was gearing up to preach it next Sunday until my wife reminded me uh, that next Sunday is Family Sunday. And, of course, she being the real pastor of the church said, you are not in front of all these kids going to talk about our friends in the gay community. So we're going to press pause on that because the pastor she thinks she runs things. Um, uh, it's just sound wisdom. We're not going to do that next week. We're going to come back the first Sunday in March and do that. Next week, we're going to start a series on faith and work from the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. So y'all tracking with me on that? 
Um, so that's what, that's what we're, we're, we're going to do. All right, Matthew chapter 22, pick me up in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants um, uh, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, uh, my double-doubles from in and out have been slaughtered and everything is ready. That's what it means in the Greek. Come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off. One to, his, one, one to his farm, another to his business. Verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants were, uh, went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now the controversy. But when the king, verse 11, came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no, who, who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I want to teach this morning from the subject, Truth on Trial. Truth on Trial. Several years ago, there was a community over in England uh, that was well-known historically for their pigs. This caused a bit of attention when um, a few years ago, uh, many Muslims started to, um, uh, to move into that same community. And if you know anything about our friends in the Muslim community, they ain't down with swine. So there was a sense in which there, there's mounting tension and um, our Muslim friends began to uh, complain about this, how they felt as if they were being infringed on, their rights were being violated, and it, uh, it reached an apex, so much so that in an unprecedented move, the town actually voted to remove all images of pigs. That's right, the story of the three little pigs could no longer be told in class. Uh, pig uh, calendars with pigs on them were removed. Uh, there was even a um, well-known tissue box, I'm not making this up, uh, with Winnie the Pooh hanging out with his best friend Piglet. You guessed it, that had to go too. In the middle of all this, one of the Muslim directors of the community was asked the question, why all of this? Doesn't he feel like this was an overreach? And this Muslim counselor in West Midlands, UK, explained that it's a tolerance of people's beliefs. It's a tolerance of people's beliefs. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to say whether or not the pig should have been removed, but if, you're, uh, if your justification is all of this needs to be removed because we need to tolerate other people's beliefs, well, what about those who believe that pigs were okay? So I want to say to you this morning, abundant life, welcome to the new tolerance. What does this mean? The idea of tolerance is like a cousin with relativism. The idea of relativism is that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. 
We all know people like this. You may work with them. They may, in the, may be in the apartment unit next to yours. You, uh, you may take classes with them. For sure, you turn on television. Tolerance is just all over the place. It pretty much goes like this. You be a good Christian. I be a good atheist. You be a good agnostic. You be a good Mormon. You just be true to you. You just do you, and it's all good. But now the moment you try to put what you believe on me, now you've gone too far. Because the idea of tolerance, again, is this idea that there is no such thing as moral absolutes. I love what one scholar, Thomas A. Helmbrook, writes. Look at it with me. The definition of the new tolerance is that every individual's beliefs, values, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are equal. There is no hierarchy of truth. Again, he's talking under the new tolerance. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal. And all truth is relative. Welcome to the new tolerance. I I felt this just the other weekend. Um, If you know anything about me, I'm an uber introvert whose love language happens to be uh, words of affirmation. Pretty much what that means is uh, tell me how awesome I am and leave me alone. Um, And so I'm just just an incredible introvert. And so I had to fly to Tucson to preach uh, at the Ritz-Carlton, no joke. Uh, When I saw that invitation, didn't even need to pray about that. So I hop on a plane and uh, wealthy people need Jesus too. And I flew into Tucson and and I landed. It was late at night and uh, God, bless them, the driver they sent to come get me was an extrovert on steroids. Um, Just chatty Kathy talking my ear off, man, and I I know this is like a very non-pastoral thing to say. It's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm like, man, this person is just wearing me out right now, so let me check in with my wife. I get on the phone, call her, and in the course of talking to my wife, I must have said something about being a preacher or a pastor, because as soon as I hang up the phone, again, it's about 11 o'clock at night, he says, man, you're a pastor. This is unbelievable. I just picked up a pastor, and, and man, let me just tell you about this pastor who I just picked up, and then that led to how he just got off a flight, and the stewardess was an incredibly attractive woman. He gets her phone number. She tells him that he's a, uh, that she He's a Christian, and man, something's going on. All these Christians are coming my way, and the Holy Spirit's like, you got to share the gospel with them, (laughs) right? The Holy Spirit being kind of the nuisance that the Holy Spirit can be. It's 11-something at night, and so I'm sharing the gospel with them, having a good time, and and just, you know, talking about the only way to God is through God's only son, uh, Jesus Christ. And he's like, man, I knew you were a Christian, man. There's just a calmness to your spirit, he said to me. I'm like, yeah, my spirit normally is calm at about 11 o'clock at night, and... uh, (laughs) Anyway, so I'm just sharing the gospel with them, telling them about who Jesus is and that, you know, uh, there aren't multiple ways to heaven. There's one way, John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then he kind of, you know, pulls the emergency brake and he says, man, that's, that's good for you. Right? Anybody know people like that? That's... That that works for you, and that's awesome, but that's not for me. That's what what, what we mean when we talk about the new tolerance. The new tolerance has no problem with us being Christian, but the new tolerance has every problem in the world when you start talking about the exclusive claims of Christianity. 
That's where there's the rub. I also want you to understand, and it's kind of ironic, and we'll talk about this some in just a few minutes, um, the new tolerance is kind of hypocritical. See, the new tolerance doesn't want Christians evangelizing them. But they have no problem evangelizing us. We turn on the TV all the time, and we are, here's what I want you to understand. Be careful about the messages television is sending us. Television is not passive. They have an agenda to evangelize them to their worldview. So that's why you have many Christians who, who now are starting to embrace this new tolerance. And they say stuff like, well, that's my truth. And that's great. That's your truth. And listen, there's only the truth. So the new tolerance is putting on a full court press. There's a book I could commend to you that's been wildly helpful for me. I read it years ago, then just reread it the other week. It's uh, D.A. Carson's book, The Intolerance of Tolerance. Listen to what he says in one of the passages in this book. He writes, the new tolerance thinks of itself as intrinsically neutral, free from any ethical, moral, or religious system of thought. Yet this is not so. The problem is worse than mere inconsistency, for the new tolerance regularly smuggles into the culture massive structures of thought and imposes, imposes them on others who disagree. So that, we get called bigots, right? While insisting that the others are the intolerant people. So what is the result of all this? Sociologists tell us we live in a post-truth society. Where 44%, according to a recent Barna poll, do not believe in our world, 44% do not believe in any absolute truth. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want you to understand that, yes, we are loving, gracious people. And I apologize for some of the fundamentalists who, in the name of Christianity, have done awful things that, that is totally not the way of Jesus. But on the other hand, Christianity, it is loving, it is gracious, it is welcoming, and very exclusive at the same time. Jesus Christ, again, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Later on, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul says, there is one, one, one mediator between God and man. Not multiple, one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Like, like just think with me for a moment. If I'm Jesus and God comes to me and says, look, man, humanity's uh, in, in, in trouble. Uh, all of us have sinned. All of us have said stuff, thought stuff, done stuff we shouldn't have done. So we're, we're headed to hell. God says, we've got to do something about this. Jesus, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to go down to earth, walk with them, be rejected by them, have your beard plucked out, be spit upon, be beaten to within an inch of your life, be crucified, killed, so that you could be just one of many options. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, no way. So I want you to understand Jesus loves you profoundly. He loves me profoundly, but he did not die just to be a buffet option. So the new tolerance flies in the face of what Christianity teaches. 
Now, I want to give this to you right now because um, if you're here today and you would call yourself Christian, I don't know how we faithfully steward the gospel in a very secular place like the Bay. And I love the Bay, but, but you're, you're going to go to work tomorrow. Or you're going to step into a, a classroom tomorrow where you've got people who are embedded in this thing called the new tolerance. And I don't know how we are faithful Bay Area lighthouses, our theme for the year, and, and we don't know how to spot the new tolerance and we don't know how to give answers to the new tolerance that are faithful to the Word of God and are packaged in a very loving, gracious way. To help us with this, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, this is a stunning story that Jesus tells that actually helps us to get our arms around it. He begins in, in verse 1 by, by likening uh, the church, the kingdom of heaven, to what Christians should be, to a wedding feast. Now, I love this imagery. The idea of a wedding feast, it, it, it is a place of joy. This is what Romans 14 talks about when he says the, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's, it's a matter of righteousness, of joy. So think about your own wedding. I mean, y'all had great food, you were feasting, you were electric sliding, you were Cupid shuffling, it was, it was great. Your wedding was so great that maybe it was like my wedding, you had folks show up who weren't invited. Those would be my wife's ghetto friends. All right, they just showed up, they just started eating, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because they knew they were going to have a good time. They knew they were going to have a good time. I love this comparison. This is, this is who Christians should be. It's not that we don't go through difficulties or hardships. In fact, we just did an altar call. It was filled with individuals saying, I'm going through a tough time. I'm waiting. But even in the midst of the waiting and the valley seasons of life, we are to be marked by joy. Because Jesus Christ has conquered and he's resurrected the third day according to the scriptures. And this life is not all there is. So he likens the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast. And here is the king in this story. He clearly represents God. He sends out his servants, and he is giving an invitation. This king has a lot of money. He says, look, just invite whoever you see. they got to get in on this. And in our text, we see multiple responses. I don't have time to dig through all of them, but one of the responses that we see towards the start of the story is he comes to a group of people. They're extremely wealthy. They own their land. They are entrepreneurs, and, and the servants invite them, and they just kind of shrug their shoulders. And in so many words, they say, ah, life's kind of good for me now. I don't have time to get in on that. If ever there was a word to the Bay Area, it's that. I'm not saying everybody in the Bay Area is wealthy, but this is Wealthyville. This is affluentville. And, 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 and it's interesting that where you have prosperity at the same time, you have this thing called secularism because, because when people are really doing well in life, it is hard to get them to see their need for God. Prosperity is a terrible teacher. That's why sometimes one of the most merciful, gracious things God could ever do is to rattle your cage a little bit and to let you go through difficult times. One person once said, we often turn to God when our foundations are shaking only to discover it was God who was shaking them. Maybe it's God saying, you know what, I've noticed an interesting pattern with you, Brian. Um, you don't really talk to me when things are going well, but man, I can't get you to shut up when things are going wrong, so maybe you'll just go through wrong things a lot. So here these servants show up, 
to these wealthy landowners and entrepreneurs and in, in deep apathy. He says, no, nah, I'm good. Next group, they show up too. They beat them, treat them shamefully, uh, meet them with hostility. Uh, we don't see this that much in America, but if you understand Christianity on a global scale now and even historically, this has to do with the persecuted church. Then there's another group, and they actually accept the invitation. And then as our story ends, just to cut right to the chase, it ends with the king walking into the wedding hall. Vows have just been exchanged. The place is packed. The DJ's doing his thing. The king enters with great pomp and circumstance. He's got maybe his attendants around him. He surveys the room. And in the midst of all these people, the king points one individual out, and he says to his attendants, how did this person get here? Why does this person stand out? Well, this person doesn't have on their wedding garments. Now, I know with 21st century eyes, we now view what the king did as very cruel. He says, get him out of here. Cast him out into outer darkness. There's no way, nice way of saying this. In the parable, it's really the equivalent of saying, send him to hell. And in our 21st century eyes, we're going, what in the world? Maybe this person couldn't afford to buy the wedding garment. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe this person is homeless or destitute or poor. Is it just good enough that they accepted your invitation? But if you were in the first century world, you know exactly what's going on. You see, back then, this is one of those passages that makes me go, praise the Lord, I've got all boys and no daughters. Because back then, the father paid for everything, including the cultural practice that every guest had to wear a wedding garment. The father paid for it all. Here's the king. He has made provision for every single person to have the wedding garment. And the reason why this person stands out is because this person gets to the wedding feast, has the wedding garment that the king prepared for him, readily available, and this person says, no, nah, I'm good. I can come in here however I feel like it. I, I, I can get to heaven on my terms. And so the king is appalled because he's saying, you didn't have to pay anything. I paid it all for you. I provided everything. And you're going to come in the way you feel like it? Get him out of here. That, my friends, is the new tolerance. Oh, I can get to heaven. But instead of getting to heaven on the garments of Christ's righteousness, I can just kind of get there on my own good works. I can just kind of get there on my own. So the best way I can explain to you, I had to go to the DMV this week. I had to go to the DMV. I, I had to get one of these new real licenses, whatever it is. Um, man, I tell you, I'd rather have a root canal <laughs> with kale-flavored Novocaine. 
than to go to the DMV. Now watch it. If you've ever been to the DMV, like me, the first thing I did before I left my house, I went to the DMV website. I looked up what exactly I needed to bring. Because if you don't bring it exactly, see, see here's what the DMV says. You can't come up in here based on how you feel. <laughs> like you're not going to tell that person, yeah, I didn't feel like bringing my passport or social security card, proof of residence, just take my word for it. That's not how the DMV rolls. They have specific guidelines. The DMV ain't down with the new tolerance. They are exclusive. so it is with the kingdom. If you want to get to heaven, you must go to the website of the word of God. I want to close with, with three problems of the new tolerance and give you three answers. And then I want to give you the real problem with the new tolerance. The first problem with so many people in our world who subscribe to the new tolerance is it's individual. What do I mean by that? People who subscribe to the new tolerance, they don't look outward or upward for truth. They look inward. They, it's like the book of Judges. Each person did what was right in their own eyes. So I will not look to the standard of God's word. I, I, won't, I won't look to God. I won't make any kind of attempt to, to have a relationship with God. I'll, I'll just go off of my own instincts. I'll just stitch some things together, whatever I'm comfortable with, whatever is good for me is, is good for me. And I'll just kind of go about it that way. I was on a flight a couple years ago, man, and I'd gotten an upgrade, and I'm sitting there in first class next to this person, and this person's freaking me out because we hadn't even taken off, and they've downed like three vodka cranberries. I mean, just going to town, going to town, going to town. Finally, I'm like, are you, are you okay? <laughs> and they, this person said to me, uh, I'm so sorry, sir. This is the second flight I've ever been on. The first flight I was on, there was so much turbulence going into Vegas. The oxygen mask came down. And, I mean, he's painting this picture. And I'm thinking, you can really stop right now because you are freaking me out. <laughs> so I said to him, man, well, maybe this is a good time for me to share the gospel with him. So I start sharing the gospel with him. And, and he says, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I go to church, but I also go to the, the mosque and the, and the tabernacle, and I also do meditation every day. And just kind of name five or six things. I'm like, man, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but as I'm listening to him, here's what I'm saying. You've made that up. Like, like you looked inward, and you just kind of stitched together your own road map. And here's the problem with it. Here's the problem. You and I are not reliable sources. Will you think of all the mess in your life and all the mess in my life? Not to even mention, if we got to go to a place we've never been to in the Bay, we actually got to talk to Siri or punch in directions and have someone tell us how to go. Now, if you got to do that, on earth to get to a destination you've never been before, all of a sudden you're going to trust yourself to get to heaven? How are you going to talk to Siri 
to get to the East Bay and not talk to God to get to heaven. So instead of trusting a document that is centuries old, I'm going to trust myself who is decades old. Problem with the new tolerance, number one, it's individual. But number two, it's nonsensical. It's nonsensical. Here's what I mean by that. When Corey and I, we, of course, we moved, you know our story. We, our family moved here from New York City, and uh, in New York, I was pastoring a church uh, that was one church in 11 locations, so Sundays were quite I- adventurous, and we didn't own a car living in New York. We'd, uh, we'd, we'd just caravan inside of a, inside of an Uber, and I'd, I'd get in, and, and oftentimes what would happen is, you know, I'd get to talk to the person. Sometimes an individual would have an accent. I'd ask them where they were, where they were from. They'd tell me where they were from. I would then just kind of try to weave in, um, well, okay, uh, well, are you a person of faith? And then they would say something back to me. Sometimes they would say things like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would call myself a Muslim, so on and so forth, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, really? Uh, well, I call myself a Christian. What do you guys think about Jesus? And they would tell me, oh, he's a good man, good, good prophet, and, uh, and, and I would say, well, actually, I think he's the son of God, and, and then, then sometimes they would say, man, that's good for you, man. That's, that's awesome. You be true to yourself. I'll be true. And I'm like, let me call time out. We are saying two completely different things. Both of us can't be right. So don't buy the lie of the new tolerance, which just pretty much says, you do you, I do me, when we are saying drastically different things. We all can't be right. Someone's wrong. It's nonsensical. Thirdly, the new tolerance is just flat out hypocritical. It's hypocrisy. See, the new tolerance only tolerates those that they view to be tolerant. Am I going too fast? Give it to you again. The new tolerance only tolerates those they view to be tolerant. See, Rome was fine with Christianity as long as they said we are one of many options. But the moment Christians started saying, we ain't bowing to Caesar because we have one Lord and it ain't you, that's when persecution started. So if you've read the newspapers, what we're seeing now are Christian groups under the new tolerance are getting kicked off of college campuses and universities. Why? Because we have moral codes. And some of those codes have to do with Issues of sexuality. Now, I'm not here to talk about our friends in the gay community. Come back in two weeks for that. And it's going to shock some of you what I'm going to say. Two weeks. How's that for a trailer? (laughs) But here's what I want you to understand. Let me get this straight. You tolerate people, but we think differently than you on something, and you kick us off campus? That sounds like intolerance. The new tolerance is hypocritical. Now, let's go home on this. Here's the real problem. Tolerance is not the real problem. It is just the means to a bigger end. And that end is the individual's personal happiness. I just want to do life on my terms. So... 
If I want to sleep with X amount of people outside of marriage, that's fine. If I want to be in a certain kind of relationship outside of marriage, that's fine. If I want to believe this, that's fine because that makes me happy. But here's the problem. You talk to people who do life on their own terms in the name of happiness, they ain't happy. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody a couple weeks ago, so not recommending that movie. So don't go, the pastor saw it so I could see it, didn't know some of the stuff that was going down in the movie. I grew up listening to Ron DMC, not Freddie Mercury. Anyways. <laughs> so I get there, and I'm watching this movie. It's a fascinating movie. Freddie Mercury was just, he was out just doing life on his own. He made all this money, all this notoriety, all this fame, had all the houses, all the cars, wild parties, doing everything and yet in the movie, there are just these poignant moments where, where you can tell he's profoundly unfulfilled and lonely. How do you have all this money and have all the sex and all the fame and be profoundly lonely? Some of us have been there, haven't we? Come on now, tell the truth. I'm not saying some of you, some of us. Some of us know what it's like to roll out of bed with somebody and feel hollow. Some of us know what it's like to have a checking account with more zeros than we could ever imagine. And in our spirit, something goes, is that it? Now, some of y'all are like, well, let me find that out on my own. <laughs> I'll just let me find that out on my own. Come on, Samaj and the band, we're out of here. Listen to me. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are at the same time some of the most famous who seemingly have it all. And the lesson of life is, life on your terms will not bring you the long-term fulfillment you thought. Here's where the gospel comes in. Jesus Christ says, I am for your happiness. But we just got to get to it a different way. Instead of you looking inward for your own happiness and fulfillment, you must look outward and upward. Because on the cross, I died the death you should have died. And I satisfied the wrath of God. And I know everything about you, everything you've ever done, are doing, and will ever do. And yet I still want you as mine. On the cross, Jesus Christ says in so many words that the way to happiness and fulfillment is not by receiving and acquiring, it's by giving. It's by losing your life for something greater. And that something greater is a God who loves you profoundly. Christians are the most fulfilled people. Because Jesus says whoever seeks to find their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life 
for my sake, you'll find it. This is truth. This is the truth of Jesus Christ who has come to set us free.